Hello, this is James, and welcome back to The Word is Very Near You, my podcast about the nearness of God in our everyday lives. Shadowlands is the name of a movie about one of my favorite authors, C.S. Lewis. In the movie, C.S. Lewis's character says that Shadowlands was the name of a story that he wrote, and he said that it referred to a place in shadow. The sun shone somewhere else, but not here. And if you've seen that movie, you recognize that's an apt description of that movie. Scenes of incredible and beautiful joy, followed by deep, piercing sadness. That's also a great description of our world too, isn't it? As I record today, the latest headlines, at least a few of them, are of another mass shooting. Someone who was deeply disturbed opened fire and killed eight people. And we are still in the grips of the coronavirus pandemic, which, as of this recording, has claimed over half a million American lives. Truly, we live in the shadowlands, don't we? And while it's true that we live in a world that has great beauty and wonder, you don't have to look very far or very long to see the shadows. Great suffering, injustice, oppression, violence. We live in the shadowlands. The prophet Isaiah certainly understood that truth. In the final section of his book, Isaiah alternates between scenes of judgment and hope. As you read it, you almost wonder if Isaiah is schizophrenic because it's this back and forth of bleak, dark scenes of judgment, followed by these soaring incredible visions of hope. And that's certainly true of the chapter we're looking at today, chapter 65. It begins with a scorching indictment of God's people and all the ways they have abandoned him, forsaken him, mistreated one another, and the inevitable judgment that's coming as a result of that. Isaiah clearly says that the cause of so much of the suffering and misery in the world is human selfishness and sin. The reason we live in the shadowlands is because we live in darkness, because we have turned our backs on God. It's a gloomy beginning to the chapter, and yet the chapter ends on an incredibly hopeful note, with the best news we could possibly ever want to hear. This is how it goes, starting in Chapter 65, verse 17. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. Never again will there be in it infants who live but a few days, or older people who do not live out their years. Those who die at a hundred will be thought mere use. Those who fail to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them, our plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, 
so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor in vain, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune, for they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. But dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. For people who dwell in the shadow lands, what could be better news than that? That God is going to create a place full of delight and joy, where the sounds of weeping and crying will no longer be heard, where death will have all but disappeared, where our labor will no longer be in vain, and where our children and our children's children have bright, promising futures ahead of them. I'd like to call your attention to a few things. In verse 17, God says through Isaiah that he will create new heavens and a new earth, and a new earth. That's important because a lot of times we have this idea of death and I'm going to heaven when I die and I'm going to float on the clouds with the angels with my golden harp and we have this really disembodied abstract understanding of what heaven may be like. But God says he's also creating a new earth and to me that is an incredible thought that God is creating a new earth. What is that going to be like to live on a new earth? The earth as it should be and should have been. An earth unmarred by pollution and death and decay and destruction. What's the new earth going to be like? I think it's going to be pretty incredible. And one of my favorite images of the new earth comes from the final book in the Chronicles of Narnia, The Last Battle. It's at the very end of the story where God is doing just this. He's creating a new earth or a new Narnia. Narnia is the name of the country in the book where the children have all their adventures. And there's a scene at the very end of the last battle where one of the characters named Lord Diggory says this to Peter, one of the children. Listen, Peter, when Aslan said you could never go back to Narnia, he meant the Narnia you were thinking of. But that was not the real Narnia. That had a beginning and an end. It was only a shadow or a copy of the real Narnia, which has always been here and always will be here, just as our own world, England and all, is only a shadow or copy of something in Aslan's real world. You need not mourn over Narnia. All of the old Narnia that mattered, all the dear creatures, have been drawn into the real Narnia through the door. And of course it is different, as different as a real thing is from a shadow, or as waking life is from a dream. Let me read that last phrase again. As different as a real thing is from a shadow, or as waking life is from a dream. What if this world that we live in, this beautiful, tragic, broken, amazing world, is simply a shadow or a dream, and that the new world God is creating is the real thing, the better, the perfect version 
of this world that we live in, a world no longer filled with shadows, but a world filled with light. The theme of reversal runs through the chapter Isaiah 65. You see this idea of God restoring Israel. Verse 21 says, They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. That's a reference to the exile, right? God's people have just been carried off to Babylon, and now other people are living in the houses they built or eating the crops they planted. And so in this new world, God says that's not going to happen. In this new world, you will live in your own houses and eat your own crops. There's going to be a reversal of their current painful situation that they will be able to enjoy the work of their hands once again. And in verse 23, it gets even better. It says, They will not labor in vain, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune. And in these words and the ones that follow, you hear not just a reversal of their current circumstances, but really a reversal of the entire curse itself. And by the curse, of course, I'm referring to Genesis 3 and the fall, where Adam and Eve sinned against God. And as a result of their sin, there were consequences. There were difficult consequences, consequences that we typically sum up as the curse with a capital C. One of those curses was painful, difficult labor. Thorns and thistles would now grow up from the ground. Labor would be difficult. It would be sweaty. It would be hard. Uh, Also, there would be difficulty in childbearing for Eve. There would be pain and suffering through the very act of bringing children into the world. And so this verse speaks of a reversal of those curses, that in this new world, no longer will our hard work be for nothing, and no longer will our children be born through suffering and pain and into uncertain futures. It's going to be a new world. This theme of reversal continues in verse 24, where God says, Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. Another one of the curses of the fall in Genesis 3 was Adam and Eve were banished from the garden, and God put a cherubim, an angel with a flaming sword, guarding the entrance to the garden to prevent Adam and Eve from returning almost as if they have been exiled or banished from God's very presence. But verse 24 speaks of God now being present again to his people and that he will hear them when they call. He will be attentive to their needs. He'll be present to his people in special and intimate ways. And lastly, in verse 25, we see God reversing the effects of harmful nature, pacifying predators like the wolf and the lion, and now there's going to be harmony among all the creatures, uh, except for the serpent. That's the one thing that does not change from Genesis 3. Dust and dirt will continue to be the serpent's food. And of course, the serpent represents Satan and the one who deceived Eve in the garden. And that's, uh, that's comforting to me to know that in this new world, that God will continue to have vanquished evil and that the serpent will still be in his rightful place in the dust. So as children of God, 
we should long for this new world, right? This world that is not the Shadowlands, this world where suffering and weeping and mourning has been put to rest. And I guess my question this morning is, do we? Do we really long for this new world? Do we live like it's a reality? Or do we act like this world is all there is? And I know I'm certainly guilty of that. Sometimes forgetting or assuming that all of my happiness has to come from this life and my accomplishments here, this side of heaven, and sometimes acting like an atheist, acting like a new world isn't coming. I think we all slip into that sometimes, and we clutch to our pearls, if you will, of this life, hoping that we can find some measure of happiness now. And don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be happy in this life. But where we go wrong is when we act like this world is all there is and when we forget that a new and better world awaits. The Apostle John wrote the last book of the Bible, Revelation, and he takes Isaiah's vision and expands upon it as he describes a new heavens and a new earth. Listen to how he describes it in Revelation 21, starting in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. I am making everything new. Well, that's good news today, isn't it? For those of us who dwell in the Shadowlands, this world that is full of such beauty and wonder, but also full of such suffering and violence, that God is creating a new world. The old order of things is passing away. This world that is but a shadow and a copy of the real one, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, prepared for us as a bride, is prepared for her husband. It's going to be amazing, and I hope that you can live today with that longing, that knowing that we serve a good God who is creating and has created a new world for us, a new heavens and a new earth, and it's going to be amazing. I can't wait to experience that with you. This has been The Word is Very Near You. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back soon with another devotion.